We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello and welcome to The Sports Social, bringing you this week's joy, heartbreak and humanity from sport. How are you, Georgie? I'm good. I'm recovering from a week of skiing. Yes. Lovely. I don't have a goggle to tan, thank goodness. No, you don't. No, I, I, don't. Just, I just had yeah. to check. No. <laughs> I looked no. very closely. Very conscious of that. It's not a good look. <laughs> it's not. Look, it's less than ideal. But it sounds like you guys had an amazing time. It was so good. It was so much fun. I could definitely go back and do that anytime again. Yeah. I really liked it. I really like ski school. That's an excellent hack for parents. I just don't think of skiing for a holiday. Like oh. I just always think of the beach. That's my natural leaning. Yeah, I, look, I love the beach, but I love an active holiday and that's mm. for me that's what skiing is. Not for everybody. Skiing can be as active or passive as you'd like it to be. I would spend most of my time in front of a fire yeah, there's eating a, hot chips. We had a lot of hot chocolates. <laughs> there were a lot of hot chips. But, yeah, if you want to be active – it's so good. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I, like I feel like I've done a week of sport. Do you need a holiday yep. from your holiday? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone's I'm like going staring at their like <laughs> iPhone going, eh, uh, Georgie. Don't tell us. <laughs> we don't feel sorry for you. After your week of skiing. <laughs> Damn you, Georgie. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. Um, so good. So many snowmen. Yes. And snow angels? No, actually no. Oh. No, we'd, we'd, we'd do it next time. Okay. That's good. Have you been watching anything in sport? I realised that we forgot to mention Tia Claire Toomey last week. Oh, who's she? So she um, is the world's fittest woman. So she does oh CrossFit. Oh, my gosh. Oh, CrossFit. Yeah, they're hectic. I can't do that. I've tried. It broke my neck. It didn't break my neck. It, like, my muscles. <laughs> Not literally. Not literally. No, it's an overstatement. No, it just, I overused my neck and I couldn't do any of the activities yeah, look, I I mean, I have a story about CrossFit, which maybe we'll share eventually, but <laughs> it's, it's to do with a snatch. But, uh, oh, okay, I'll tell you now. <laughs> I mean, now seems like a good time. <laughs> I did a snatch and it impacted my snatch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I went too hard is what that means and my IUD slipped a little bit oh my goodness <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible <laughs> turns out it is so yeah CrossFit's not for me no but it is for a lot of people and Tia Claire Toomey who is an Australian amazing CrossFitter won an unprecedented sixth title as world's fittest woman wow so she has now surpassed men and women so she so do they compete Equally. No, no, no. So Matt Fraser, who is like the CrossFit man guru, goat, yep. uh, he won five in a row and that was just like mind-blowing. Wow. She did that last year, obviously, and then she won her sixth in a row this year. Far out. Yeah, so she's she's an Australian and, yeah, I mean, she's like hectic. So is there like hectic a world goal. champs for CrossFit? Yeah, CrossFit Games. 
Right. The World CrossFit Games. Are they still campaigning to get into the Olympics? Is that still a thing? Oh, God, I hope not because I don't know how clean it is as a sport. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, not. I'm not making any assumptions about anybody, but those people are jacked yeah. to the to the hilt. Like they are – if you go and watch any of it, they're – like they're phenomenal athletes. Yes. Whether or not they're entirely clean. I mean, they, they do get drug tested. I know in one year an Australian guy, I can't remember his name, tested positive for drugs, but I wonder if he was like a scapegoat, like a right. a distraction. Like, right. oh, look, we're, we're tidying up the sport. So do they fall under the same testing regime that, say, the swimmers would? No, they wouldn't be under ASADA or, sorry, WADA is the world antidote. Right. Agency. Oh, I don't think so anyway. I haven't looked into it, but man, those, they're hectic. Right. They're so strong. And, you know, they are all around fitness, right? So it's not just lifting heavy weights. Like they ride bikes and they go for swims. And yeah. There's a cardio ha- aspect to there's it. There's a whole range. You know, they get on the ergo and do like a marathon on the ergo or something like that. Oh, it just that sounds revolting. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an interesting concept, right? Because they, they don't know how to prepare. They just have to prepare across the board and then they get told the day before oh, what right. the, the um, session for the next day is going to be. So, it, like, it's a really fun – like, I love watching it because they're just – they are incredible athletes, but – I don't know if they're entirely clean. <laughs> Not ready for the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, Tia probably is. I'd, mm. I'd make that assumption because she's Australian. Right. There we go. That's really interesting. Yeah. I have been wanting to talk to you about Serena Williams. <gasps> I know. I love that she has foreshadowed her retirement or evolution, which I think is a really cool mm. way to talk about it, in vogue. Yeah. Like how many athletes come out and talk about things like that? In a fashion magazine, well, Serena, Serena, <laughs> she's a, I can probably count it on one finger. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was really interesting how she spoke about evolving mm. because she really doesn't want to leave tennis. Yeah. Did that resonate with you? Oh, totally. Like if I had the opportunity to continue to be an athlete, I would do it forever. It's. It's, it, I mean, it's hard to explain because, and it, you, it's impossible to compare to real life because it's just, it's not real. Like you are working wholly and solely on one particular goal, which is to make yourself as fast as possible and compete against the world in this one discipline. And the simplicity of that is just magic. Mm. The routine of that is magic. The people that you're around are all themselves aiming to you know, take on the world and be better every single day. And that that's a very different environment to what happens in the real world. Like yeah. most people are like, meh, yeah. I don't really care. I'm just tapping in and tapping out as, as I please and it's not really about passion or purpose. Whereas when you're in that kind of high performance mindset and environment, that's every single day is that's what you're aiming towards. And then there's, you know, nothing can replicate the actual performance like that on the day the adrenaline that high the high of standing on the blocks knowing that you've prepared your body in every way that you can and literally you have less than a minute you have 53 less than 53 seconds for 100 freestyle to touch that wall first to to do a best time and that happens once every four years like Mm -hmm. nothing nothing replicates that 
Um, not to say that, you know, there isn't joy now and, you know, there's excitement and passion and purpose for me now for sure, but that acuteness of it is um, is really special. So I totally understand how she doesn't want it to end. <laughs> yes, I think she said that she felt that she just couldn't focus on having her kids. Mm. So she's got one child, Olympia. Yes. Yep. And she just can't get her head around having a second child and she's so frustrated and I love that she was so honest about this she's so frustrated about the fact that you know if she was a man Mm. she could do all this but because she's female she's got to stop doing the things she loves most Mm. to have kids but she's decided that's children are now her priority yeah because that happens you know you start to get to that point in your life where you're like that's the next phase Mm. But it is frustrating if you if you're wanting to continue to perform at that highest level. If you don't still if you still have that competitive urge, mm. then that's really hard. Mm. What's also been interesting in the media this week is a couple of high profile Australian captains mm. stepping down, or not stepping down, but taking stepping away and having a break. Yeah. So Meg Lanning, who's the um, yeah the Aussie cricket yeah women's captain, captain yeah, and has been for about. 10 years. Oh, wow. Can you imagine being a captain for 10 years? That's exhausting. Yeah, that seems like a lot. So she's taken a break. They've just won their three big titles, I guess, this year. So she's now stepped down and taken a break. And then Michael Hooper, the Wallabies captain. Yeah, I saw that. That mm. just um, that reminded me of David Pocock, actually, yes. <laughs> when he sort of took that time yes. away to, to do his studies and yeah. sort of find himself outside yeah. of the sport. I actually wondered if it was like an evolution within players mm. where they're recognised, instead of getting to a point of burnout and then just retiring immediately, yeah. they're realising as part of their careers that they might just need to have a stop. But that's what I'm finding fascinating in the last mm. probably 10 years. I remember Liesl Jones taking the 2009 year off. Um, oh, God, how do you remember that stuff? I don't <laughs> Like, I, I don't know what I was doing in 2009. <laughs> How do you remember what Liesl did? Well, because I, I kept swimming and she took a year off and then she came back and, and then eventually I retired and then came back. <laughs> and I kind of, like you've started to see a lot more athletes take a year off, take six yeah. months off. Uh, you know, I'm talking most, mostly around the, the swimming world. But I think it's it's actually a really positive oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's healthy. Yeah. I think it's I think it's showing that. They're getting the support that they need Mm. and I guess the guidance that they need throughout their careers around what their own mental health looks like. And we we don't know why they've taken a break or their reasons for it. But obviously sports have got a lot better at talking about mental health Mm. and about your own well-being. Yeah, and understanding that the athletes are actually humans first rather than just this vehicle to high performance. Mm. I, and I, I feel really positive about that. I think, you know, definitely off the back of, you know, the preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, which ended up being five years instead of four years, I think a lot of athletes took extended periods of time off after that. Mm. And the fact that not only the sort of the national sporting organisations are allowing that, they also, the the coaches are allowing that and are understanding mm. how important So previously would a coach not have... Oh, supported yeah. that well not no. in swimming Mm-mm. right no no well I mean obviously um Liesl did it but you know to even get three weeks off <laughs> when I was swimming was like 
okay, you can have three weeks off, I guess. <laughs> right. That's not particularly supportive. No. <laughs> it was 12 years ago though. Yeah, it was 12 years ago. But, you know, like the, the fact that like Simone Biles withdrew mm. during the Tokyo Olympics, I think there's so much, so many conversations around what time off, what performance looks like you know, and really accounting for a, a person's mental health and that's taking into account lots of things, whether it's childhood traumas or baggage that people might have experienced, it's high expectations and pressure, cooker environments, it's understanding longevity and the mm. fact that a female body, particularly in sprinting, actually performs better as they get older. Because really? They get, yeah, because they, you get stronger and you right. have the ability to – your aerobic capacity is improved. There's like a whole bunch of things, particularly for women in sprints, that show that they actually get better with age, mm. uh, which is really interesting for swimmers because a lot of swimmers used to retire at like 23 or 24 How or 25. How old were you when you retired? The first time was 24, uh, the second time 27. Okay. But I, 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 if I had have kept going, the theory is, is that you actually get stronger, and then you see Did like know that. Then, then you see like a, uh, a Dana Volma, not Dana Volma. Well, Dana Volma, um, Dara Torres. Yes, um, I re- do remember her. Yeah, she was forty-one when she won silver in Beijing after her baby was two. So that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And then you see someone like Lauren Jackson. Oh, I was wanted to talk to you about her. She's amazing. Did you see the video where they told her that she'd made the squad? No, I haven't seen she it. She got she was visibly like she was crying. Well she she's she, amazing. Yeah. Like so, how long has she been out of the sport? It's like t- ten years maybe? I feel like it's around ten years. And yeah. she's got two kids. She's got two kids. And she had a significant knee injury that she's had to overcome. Yeah. Well, I interviewed her for All That Glitters. Oh, I'm going to go listen to that. Yeah, she and she's amazing. Like, And, you know, she talked pretty openly about her experiences with her mental health and issues with prescription drugs and feeling kind of very lost at different times in her life. So to see her in her happy place on the court but obviously in a good place now is just beautiful to see. Wow. I will go and listen to that. I want to. She's pretty fabulous. Yeah, I feel like she sort of slipped out of the public view for such a long time. Yeah, I had no idea that she'd retired ten years ago. No, I think we need need to um, do some chatting about F one. Finally, <laughs> I mean, it's about bloody time. <laughs> it's your favorite motorsport. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's the only motorsport that I watch. But I am deep in. The F1 world. So when did you start following car racing? Purely. It's possible we're not even using the right terms here. <laughs> it's absolutely possible. In fact, I'm sure we're not in using fact, the right I terms. I guarantee you that we're not going to use the right terms. But that's okay mm. because we're Drive to Survive fans first oh, and foremost. Look, so I started watching Drive to Survive because we'd hit a point on Netflix where Ben, my husband, had said, I cannot watch another bonnet drama, which I think, What's a bonnet like drama? Like Bridgerton oh, cool. or that sort of that level. Got you. Of Emily in Paris. Yeah. No, but that's not a bonnet drama. It's got to be like, okay. that's like an, you know, like a Jane Austen level thing. Oh. Like anything that it's set in that era, he's like, no, okay. I will not watch. Which is fair. And uh, there's I only, mean, is it though? Bridgerton's pretty great. Bridget, yep. His loss. <laughs> but Emily in Paris, similar, like, no, not watching it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. What would you like to watch? And he said, I would like to watch. F1. Drive to survive. F1 drive to survive. And I was like, no. 
That sounds terrible. I do not watch car racing. Mm. And he's like, just watch the first episode. And within maybe I had to give it three episodes. The first couple I was like, God, it's a lot of tyres and cars. (laughs) So much changing. And the colours are so boring. But then all of a sudden I was like, what happens next? Who is that person? Why are they arguing? What is the drama here? Who's getting transferred to who? Yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. And anyone I've told about is like, oh, really? And then you have to like shove it in people's yes, faces. Yes, and be they like, look you, horrified. You have to. Why watch are this. you talking to me about car racing, Georgie? <laughs> this is not our conversation. But it's so good. Everybody needs. If you haven't already watched it, you. I mean, you're missing out. You need to go start season one, Drive to Survive, and you can thank us later. But it is. So much fun. It includes, like, there's even a Spice Girl in it. Like, that. it's... Well, I mean, if you're not going to watch it for the, the tyres, you can watch <laughs> no it one's for watching, Jerry. Well, we're not watching it for the tyres. I don't understand anything about tyres. Ginger Spice. like Ginger Spice, Jerry Halliwell, is married to Christian... Horner. Horner. He leads one of the teams. Yeah, he, he leads Red Bull Racing. Mm. My favourite. I mean, you know who I'm going to say. I know so. who you're going to say. You can say it. This Toto. <laughs> who has the Mercedes look. He just makes a white crisp T-shirt pop. <laughs> he does. He, he does. Make, he makes it pop. He does bring a certain. Um, Je ne sais quoi. You said it. But he is, he's in a bit of trouble this season because oh, Mercedes no. is not performing He's in a at world. All. And this is where Libby and I will start to demonstrate just how much we know about F1 now. Well, George Russell's doing okay. Who does he drive for? Mercedes. Oh, does he? Doesn't he? I could never. That's, this is the thing. So I've had to draw a chart of where the drivers have you moved to. It includes pictures. <laughs> this is why I love you, Georgie. <laughs> so Vettel recently yes. retired. Sebastian Vettel. He was racing for Aston Martin. Yeah. But he's like. Who wear green. I remember by colours. Yes. He was a big Ferrari dude for oh, a long time, okay. and then he's because he's a bit old. So he, he's actually you know he's like a world champion, previous world champion, free time world champion. Like right. he's very he's good. He's a good breed, right? Um, he's retired because he's had enough. He's become quite environmental. Yeah, I mean, the cynics might say that he's just not very good anymore. He's done because he, the maybe thing it's time for him to move on. I think there's twenty seats in F1, so Correct. to be an F1 driver, you have to be the best one of twenty. Twenty, yeah. So there's two seats per team. So there's yep. ten teams. Yep. He yeah. So he got moved off to Aston Martin. Yep. And I I, I like that he's kind of made his retirement about yeah the a good climate cause. change, and right? The environment and all of that. That's I mean that's amazing. The cynics would say that he's just done, but never mind. Let's, so he, let's make it a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> good on you, Vettel. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you for flagging that the climate, climate change. <laughs> The world is on fire. Yes. yes. He's done well. We will continue to talk about frivolous things such as F1. <laughs> such as Toto in his white tops. So. <laughs> I love that this makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to objectify the guy. No, I know, but I will. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Vettel retires mm. and that has created a whole – well, it's a cascading domino effect, isn't it? Yes. And Piastri. Oscar? He, 
Yes. Now, he was racing for Alpine. He's like their number three driver. Yes. So he drives in F2. Mm. And if Which some, is the level below F1. Someone has COVID or, you know, you're away on holidays, annual leave, whatever. <laughs> you just, you're like, I can't make it to Monaco that yeah, day. I'll be a, so Piastri would fill in for Alpine. Yeah, he's the Alpine re- reserve driver. Oh, it's a reserve driver. Yeah. Right. So hang on, did Vettel – oh, someone left Alpine to fill in for Vettel. Yes. 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 <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. So someone left Alpine – Alonso. Alonso. Fernando Alonso left Alpine. To fill in for Vettel. So Alonso's gone to Aston Martin. Yes. It's created a space in Alpine. Yeah. Alpine have then said, oh, well, our number three driver. Our reserve driver. That's the Piastri. That's it. Piastri is going to now take over. And Piastri turned around and said, no. <laughs> uh, nah. No, I don't have a contract with you. Meanwhile, it sounds like not that we have any information. <laughs> But, but it, word on the street, Georgie. But from what I'm reading, it sounds like he has been talking to McLaren. And what are you, why is McLaren important, Georgie? Because that's who Daniel Ricciardo races mm. for. And Daniel Ricciardo is Australia's biggest F1 export yes. since... Oh, Mark? Weber. Weber. We got there. We did. God, we know car racing. Know. We're right into it now, aren't we? I'm so proud of us. Mark Webber never listens when we sit. Oh, God, I hope he never listens. Mark Webber. 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 Webber Q. So Daniel Ricciardo, who really should have never – I'm just going to skip right over that. Daniel Ricciardo should have never left Red Bull. No. And that's – I mean, exactly right, Georgie. Why did he leave Red Bull? He was on such a good wicket there. And that car's got better and better. I love that I have an opinion about what Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> I mean, it was a stupid move. <laughs> His career has just gone to shit since then. Well, he went to Renault and that was a disaster. Oh, nightmare. Again, <laughs> or when I say this, I'm thinking Red Bull, it was like blues. Renault, blues yellow. Yeah. McLaren, orange. Orange, yes, exactly. <laughs> And he, I think he did okay in one race in McLaren. I think he won. He's done all right, but I nothing – they're very unhappy with his performance apparently. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably because Piastri sounds like he's going to take his seat. Yes. It'll be interesting to see, but it will, event- it will eventually mean that Ricardo is left without a seat unless someone picks him up. Surely he could get into somewhere. Um, the chances are Daniel will end up back. Back at Red Bull? Back at Red Bull. Back at McLaren. Do you want to give me a microphone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Our, uh, our reporter, Jace, from the field. So, Daniel Ricciardo used to race for Renault. Renault became Alpine. Yes. And oh, chances are, now that there's a seat open at Alpine, Daniel Ricciardo, if he leaves McLaren, will end up at Alpine. You would oh, think they would take him because circle. of his experience. Yes. Yes. Because is Alpine lower down in the constructors' no, ranking uh, than McLaren? Well. I think they're quite close with McLaren. Oh wow! Well. Yeah. yeah, they're like third or fourth Thank on the God, constructors' ranking. Yeah, <laughs> our resident reporter, Jason, was also sitting there, just like with his head in his Jason, hands, going, "No, just was no. like, oh, guys, just it's not quite right. <laughs> it's just not quite right." It was bursting. I see a vein popping out of his forehead. <laughs> so there we go. That might happen. So, Ricardo back to Alpine yes. slash Renault. Yes. Piastri to McLaren. Yes. Vettel, so, Vettel gone. Alonso over at 
Aston Martin. Aston Martin. Full circle. But you should definitely, if you have, stop singing, please. (laughs) No one can hear that. Like it's not the right time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Again, everybody needs to go watch the F1, Drive to Survive. And if you've got kids who are like 10 and above, because it can be a bit sweary. It is a bit sweary, yeah. It would be a great thing to watch with kids who are into sport and car racing and stuff like that. It's so fun. And I think other than Toto, which obviously he's my main favourite, but Gunter from Haas. Yeah, and Gunter just survives. He's still there. He is the epitome of survival. (laughs) I can't say that he's thriving. No, but he continues to live on. But he is a joy to watch he's on a my gift. screen. He's a gift. Any, any director would be like, thank you, Gunther. Thank you, Gunther. There's another piece of gold <laughs> that we will make sure is front and centre in that next episode. <laughs> so good. I love him so much. All right, should we call Mia? Yeah, let's call Mia. I met Mia doing a council exercise class when my eldest child was 11 weeks old. Wow. So my best mate, Greer, dragged me along to this council class and said, just come and exercise. And I said, no, I can't leave the house. I have an 11-week-old baby. Especially your first, you're like, Put it in a pram, come to exercise. And I did and it was great. And I met this great group of girls and one of them is Mia. Mm. Mia plays AFLW for the Yoronga Devils. Awesome. She's actually a captain. This was her last season but she's been – Her evolution. Her evolution, yeah. Like Serena. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really nice actually because Mia has spoken about the fact that when she was growing up she always wanted to play AFL and Mm. she did to a point but then it became a bit tricky because it was pretty much male dominated. Yeah. Grew up in South Australia where AFL was a big deal, Mm. probably more so than in Queensland 20 years ago. And then AFLW became a thing and so she went back and got to play the sport she'd always wanted to play. That's amazing. No, isn't it so good? Anyway, so Mia is also an occupational therapist and has worked for a while with kids who are deaf Mm. and need additional support. And so what I want to talk to Mia about today is a bit of a program that she developed for kids who are deaf to learn how to play AFL. That's amazing. Yeah. Hello. Hi, Mia. It's Georgie from the Sports Social. Oh, hi. How are you going, Georgie? I'm well. I've got Libby here with me. Hi, Mia. How are you going? Excellent. I have coffee in hand and, yeah, great to chat to you guys. I have a coffee too. Same oh, snap. Kids are off to school. We're set. <laughs> Love it so much. What more can you ask? Exactly. Can you tell Libby and I about the time you taught a football team sign language? Sure. It was actually... In the year of COVID, 2020, <laughs> the start of COVID, um, my amazing football team, Yoronga, South Brisbane football team, we were lucky enough to convince one of my good friends, Jamie Howe, to come out at the start of the season and just have a go. And Jamie, I worked with her at the ECDP at Yoronga Pili, which stands for Early Childhood Development Program. So that's essentially a kindy for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. And Jamie is deaf herself. She's profoundly deaf and wears one cochlea. So I was able to convince her to come out. She's an amazing athlete in her own right. So she came out and played the season and about maybe halfway through the season, I thought, you know what, wouldn't it be amazing if we actually learned some sign language to really, really make her feel included? 
so we gathered the kind of leadership group at the time and we decided to get the team song interpreted into Auslan and we separated us into small little groups over Messenger and we sent the video out and everybody had to learn it in secret so that one day when everybody was comfortable to know it, we could sing the song the next time we won the game and surprise Jamie. So Jamie was the only one in the team. All the coaches knew everyone. Jamie was the only one that didn't know we were learning this. And then the day came. <laughs> we were all set. We won. We all ran into the change rooms and we all sang the team song in Auslan. And she was just blown away, absolutely blown away. And the look on her face in the videos, it, it truly is a priceless thing. I still get goosebumps mm. even with a tear when I watch the original video. So, yeah, from that, we kind of just um, innocently thought of, you know, we'll share it so that her mum can see it and a couple of other people, some friends. And it just went viral. It went <laughs> everywhere. And we had mm. ABC calling us and Channel 7 and Sunrise and the Today Show and everything, and it, it, AFLW and Seven Sport, it was just amazing, the response we had when we thought we were just doing what we thought was a little old thing for Jamie that we had all practised, um, and we were really, really proud of her as a teammate and wanted her to feel included. So, What was Jamie's response? I mean, obviously, I've seen that video, and we'll link to it in our show notes, um, and it's she's just overwhelmed by yes, what you guys did for her. But <laughs> I'm interested to understand how she felt in the weeks that followed, particularly yeah, given I, the the response in the broader community. She had an um, outpouring of support from the deaf community as well as, you know, the, just the general sporting community. There were so many people that came forward from the deaf community. She said, that, said uh, your, your team is so fantastic. I wish my team had done something like that for me. You know, when I was playing or what an amazing group of women, just so many, even parents saying that my child is deaf as well or they wear a cochlear and I've always, you know, had apprehensions or something about them playing team sport. But this Mm. video has allowed me to realise that, you know, sometimes there's greater things that go on in community sport and maybe there is an opportunity for them to play in mainstream sports. And I think we never, we never expected (laughs) what came of it Mm. ever, both Jamie and I have. And for someone who's a fairly quiet and reserved person, she was just thrust into the limelight and I saw her build her own confidence in the years post that. Um, And we always laugh back about it and how, you know, (laughs) we now know how to answer questions. But originally she just either handballed the question off to me if the two of us were being interviewed or (laughs) but now she's, oh, it's just amazing. I think she said it was one of the most overwhelming experiences but at the same time, in some ways, made her realise maybe this could be a really great opportunity to you know, grow greater awareness and connect with the community and you know, from little things, big things can grow. I mean, for me, that just speaks to the incredible inclusiveness that sport and particularly you know, community sport can bring mm-hmm. to our society as a whole. I think it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I had goosebumps, you just describing it to me it's such a a beautiful gift to be able to give to your teammate and you know obviously you guys didn't think too much about it but what has grown from that because you said from little things big things grow what what has grown from it yeah um look it was kind of in the next few days I I couldn't sleep one night actually and I woke up the next day and I said to my husband you can't stop here this can't stop here um 
I need I need everybody to be able to play sport. You know, I've always grown up playing sport my whole life and let's do something for kids. Uh, all kids who are deaf and hard of hearing should be able to play AFL or play any sport. Um, and he's a big doer. He's, if I've got an idea, I go to him and he's like, right, this is what we do. And, you know, with his business mind, he was on it and he was a huge um, factor in Auslan footy getting off the ground. So from that, I went with Jamie and Jamie and I and Brendan, we really kind of just sorted out, okay, what, what can we make? What can we do? What, where's a gap? And the biggest thing was that there w- wasn't something for kids who were deaf and hard of hearing to have their own opportunity to learn AFL in their first language in Auslan or if they were um, verbal and used English and Auslan. So, yeah, that's when Auslan footy came out of that. We thought, okay, so let's kind of use a bit of the Auskick model. We had 60 families wow. um, or 60 kids register and it was just amazing. So, Mia, what has happened since? So you ran that pilot two years ago and you've run it again mm. a few times. What has yes. now happened on the national level? Well, from that, um, first we did the pilot program, which is only three weeks. And, you know, we went on and obviously wanted this to be a sustainable program. So we made sure that we, you know, we got feedback and surveys and things from all the families and um, everybody just wanted more. They wanted it to continue. They wanted it to be longer. So we ran another six-week program. And from that, we've, we're now running our third um, program, six-week program of Auslan Footy, which is it's a really positive thing that it's actually our last Auslan footy because after this it's going to turn into Auskick Death um, and it's going to be a, a program that's going to go across Australia. And then with the view that they're going to have an AFL Death competition for uh, adults like 18 and up or maybe even youth up next year across wow. Australia. And, yeah, I just really hope that... Uh, Ausland footy was just a, a stepping stone into Auskick Death becoming something that, yeah, just like the general Auskick that everybody, if if you have a child who is deaf or hard of hearing, you know that there's a program out there for them and that they can feel as included and as supported as anyone else. So, yeah. Mia, that is just remarkable. Uh, that's what sport is about, is about that inclusion and the feeling connected with your community and working together as a team. And you should be so incredibly proud of what you've been able to, to create oh, as part of that. Thanks, guys. Thank a- you. Absolutely amazing, Mia. Thanks, thanks for the chat, guys. Appreciate it. She's amazing. And, like, that is Mia. Like, there's no – she is genuinely the nicest person and such a community-minded person. The thing that made my heart absolutely sing was they had this idea for their teammate. As she said, it was just a little thing that they thought would be nice for her. And then something came from that and she went, it can't end here. I know. Like that that made my heart burst with joy to hear someone who saw this opportunity to help people feel included in a sport that she loves. And I, yeah, magic. She, she and Brendan are just wonderful people they're so involved in community sport they coach and I think it just it shows what an impact you can have as a coach or a volunteer in a kid's life by helping them out with sport yeah exactly right as always we will tag everything that we've kind of spoken about in the show notes thank you so much for joining us on today's episode this week's episode of the sports social 
if you guys like what you're hearing, like and subscribe, rate, review. They're actually really important to help us get on the charts and be found. Apparently, that's a ting. If you say so. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, algorithms or some such. But, yeah, if you could do that, that would be amazing. And as always, if you have anything like grassroots community stories that you would love for us to share more about, please just jump into our Instagram DMs at the Sports Social Podcast and let us know about it. We we would love to hear it and, and share it. We'll see you next week. We will. Bye. Bye.